Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where I interview people who on the surface appear quite ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. Kenzie Grimm Travels the World, Part 2. In a previous episode, I interviewed Kenzie Grimm on four of the 18 nations she's traveled to, all between the ages of 18 to 23. We talked for over 100 minutes, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. So I'm just grateful that Kenzie is back and we are going to discuss more. Hey, Kenzie. Hello. Thank you for having me again. (laughs) Oh, it's so fun. It really is. Um, You've just taken some incredible trips where you were outside of the United States for five weeks at a time. And you've done this with at least two different continents that I know of. Um, Let's talk about Europe. Okay. Like, wherever you want to start is totally great. You could give us a story or two from, I don't know, you've been to the United Kingdom, Italy, Greece, Switzerland, Austria, the Czech Republic, the Netherlands, France. And so I am thinking back to when I spoke with you last, and I know that I talked about Greece quite a bit, and I shared a really interesting story about meeting someone um, that is from there and how great it was to learn about how typical life is there um, and kind of the struggles that he was dealing with. I also remember talking about Italy a lot. So um, I will focus on some of the other countries here. And the reason I kind of chose to talk about Italy and Greece the most with you last time was because my friend and I, we spent the most time there. So I, I think we spent about a week in Greece and a week in Italy. And then it was kind of like this race across major cities in Europe for <laughs> the rest of our trip, which had pros and cons, of course. Um, I think if I would go back to do it, I could spend months in each country. But when you're trying to see, when you're trying to see so much in the time frame and on the budget that you know, you have, you have to pick and choose and, um, you have to move quickly if you don't have as much time. Um, so as I really want to start with Switzerland and I want to start here because I can remember going into Switzerland and feeling like it was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever looked at. We traveled by train from Northern Italy into Switzerland. And if anyone has researched that at all, they can quickly see that it's one of the most picturesque things that you can do. And it seemed crazy to me because, you know, there's no, there's no highway or bus route. Well, there might be in America somewhere, but usually you really have to you really have to seek out those kinds of places that look like that in America and you have that, you have that destination in mind. But in Switzerland, it's like, you know, once you get into the mountains in Northern Italy and, you know, gradually go into Switzerland, it's like the whole way is just jaw dropping beauty. (laughs) So I remember thinking, gosh, I'm just on a train. I'm, I'm sure there are people on here that are traveling for work that, you know, or, you know, just going to visit a family member. It's just in every, well, maybe not every day, but it could be for some people. And, um, that part was 
was crazy to me. Um, the mountains were gorgeous, of course. And if you've seen the Rocky Mountains, then you have something to compare it to. But the differences in Switzerland really kind of lie in what their little towns look like and what their buildings look like. It's very old there. They look like cottages. It's just you feel like you are way back in time. And their lakes are this bright blue color, very turquoise. And the way that it contrasts with the mountains is is amazing. Um, I, I went whitewater rafting when I was there. And our guide was awesome. He told us all about how how the lakes become that color. And it's this scientific process that I wouldn't be able to explain perfectly, but um, it's because of the minerals on the on the mountains that kind of crumble down with them with weather, you know, into the lakes and the way that the sun reflects onto the lake is what gets that color. Um, and in that can be found in other places in the world as well, but it just so happened to be the first place in the world where I saw that. Um, Switzerland is expensive. It's the most expensive country I've been to. Um, I had a salad (laughs) and it cost me, and this was at like a very uh, typical like Irish pub kind of place. So in America, you might get, a Caesar salad for $12, $13. Um, well, not everywhere in America, but where I'm from in the Midwest. <laughs> but um, my salad was $25 here at this at this bar. Um, so, of course, you might find that at a fancy restaurant here, fancier restaurant, but I thought that that was pretty crazy. <laughs> so, you know, same thing goes for $8 bottles of water, um, what? you know, it was, yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely a place that you'll have to remember is going to be quite a bit more expensive than, um, other countries in Europe. So it's worth it, of course, <laughs> but being mindful of that is good. Was, was Switzerland the best time that you think you had in Europe? Um, oh, well, that's too hard of a question to answer, but it was definitely a favorite of mine, and it's one of the few that I would return to, so there's definitely something about it that sticks with me. It is up there. I will, that's my answer to your question. It's up there. How about, how about culture in Switzerland? Is there... Yeah, I'm assuming we have different countries because they all have different cultures. Otherwise, they would just form the same country. Uh, mm-hmm. What What's the culture like in Switzerland? So what was difficult for me when I was in Europe is distinguishing between some of them. So like you said, I was in Switzerland. And from there, we went to um, Austria and the in Vienna, Austria, and um, Prague in the Czech Republic. 
countries and you'd think they have such different cultures. It was hard for me to pick up because their languages, although different, sounded um, similar to me and it all just kind of mixed together. Tim, I'm going to check in and make sure you can still hear me. Yeah, you kind of glitched for a second there. I don't know if it's my internet or if it's your internet. Uh, I'm going to do an internet speed test here real quick, Kenzie. And just kind of see, like, maybe I need to switch over to my phone or something like that. I don't know. Just kind of see what's that. I was going to say, you can edit this all out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank goodness. We can always, um, like, we could always hang up and call back, too. Like, I could leave the meeting and come back if you want me to try that. Yeah, let's let's do that. Go ahead and hang up real quick and then just buzz back in. Hello. Hi. Okay, I think it's going to work a little bit better. At least I hope it will because I closed, uh, like I had maybe another program or two, you know, open. And okay. So, so hopefully this will just be a little bit better. And yeah, just so the way that I kind of noticed is that I I looked at your um, face up there oh. in the corner and I'm like, I think he's freezing yeah. periodically. Yeah. So, um where would you like me to start uh, off? Let's go back to Swiss culture. So what was Swiss culture okay. like? Okay. Um, so it, because I was moving around so quickly and I went from being in Switzerland to Austria, Czech Republic, in just a couple, you know, a few days time, spent about three days in Switzerland, two in Austria, two in Czech Republic, um, it was hard for me to pick up differences and when you look at a map geographically America is so much bigger and going from Switzerland to Austria is like going from Iowa to Illinois right? Um, or even maybe just staying in Iowa <laughs> um, so you're covering you're covering so much smaller of a distance which so it's actually amazing to to know that there are so many differences in such a small um, area, physical area. But I, I noticed I had a hard time um, 
distinguishing between languages. So, and especially even Dutch in the Netherlands too. Dutch, German, it was it was hard to it was really hard to pick up how they were different, and even some of how people were different as well. So, I would say that when it comes to culture, I I it's so much easier to see how um, Italians or Greeks were had differences but when I got up north into those smaller countries I couldn't I couldn't pick up that variance so that's not a very good answer to that question but (laughs) no it's okay because well first of all you were young and you were racing from one country to the next and maybe Mm -hmm. only spending two days in a given country when when you were in a country And I will say it is about what you do there, too. So in Switzerland, my friend I was traveling with and I, we did a lot of outdoor activities. We went hiking. We went whitewater rafting. But once we got to Vienna in Austria, we went to a a market, like a farmer's market type place. And then we came across a soccer game that was being played on a huge screen outside of their town square and it had all these like food stands and beer stands and all these crazy soccer fans that were watching their Austria team play for the Euro Cup so my friend and I decided to join in on that for a while and kind of get rowdy with (laughs) some of the soccer fans over there which was amazing to do, right? But um, it would be just making a generalization to say that Austrians are crazy soccer fans because I think all Europeans are. <laughs> See, that's what they say. And okay, and, and I just can't relate having never been to Europe. And maybe you could sort of elaborate on this. I mean, occasionally it'll break through the news here and there's usually like a soccer riot or something like that. But, but I, I think most of it's probably 99% of the time they probably just have the soccer game and then the fans go crazy. But what does that mean when, when they go crazy? I, I wouldn't say it's much crazier than a college football game. Okay. But um, it's, it, they are definitely known to be crazier or um, even, you know, more dramatic I would say. And sometimes when you watch on TV, you can tell um, the way that some of the players react to certain calls or, you know, even, um, you know, being injured uh, and things like that. So I think there's a more, um, there's a more intense play out of emotions in, do, in soccer. <laughs> are, are they playing it up? Uh, like, uh, it doesn't seem like they're acting and playing it up or do they sincerely, like if they blow the call or just like they, they blow the shot or are they like, ah, just like, I don't know, in tears, like, what do they do? I think it depends. I, I haven't, I haven't watched enough soccer to feel like I can adequately answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, when you were in all of these countries, what was the weirdest thing that happened? Ooh. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm sure there were many weird things that happened, but I'm going to go with the one that popped into my head right away. Um, when we were in Prague in the Czech Republic, uh, my friend and I, we were taking the subway back to the hotel that we were staying at. And it was later at night. Um, and we didn't even realize it because it was pretty, 
uh, mild, but the tram that we were riding got into an accident. So it had to have been very, we weren't going very fast. We just kind of thought we came to an abrupt stop, but it actually ended up that I think we were on the way back of the tram and it happened in the way front. So we were just a little disoriented. Um, didn't even, you know, we were standing up the whole time. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a big thing that people reacted to much. Um, but then we were told to get off the tram. And of course we didn't know it. We weren't told that in English. So we were just following other people at that point. Um, and then of course the tram couldn't take us back to where we needed to go. So we needed to find a different route home, which required some work. And uh, I definitely got a little frustrated. So my friend took over and she kind of helps navigate that. And so we had to take two different trams and we took our first one and it brought us about halfway back to the hotel. And then we had to wait for a period of time for the next one to pick us up and take us back. And um, we, we were sitting on the curb there and our tram finally showed up and we walked on and there was a man and a woman who were arguing and they were not um, together on the tram. They were obviously, um, you know, strangers to each other. And we had no idea what they were obviously arguing about. And the woman was upset with the man and all we could pick up was that the man was carrying a gun and he never, he never even tried to, you know, act like he was going to use it. So my friend and I thought, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's carrying a gun because he's some kind of police officer or maybe he's a guard and he's off duty, but he carries it around. You know, a lot of people do that. Right. And I think we were, we were trying to rationalize the situation to not become worried, but um, we definitely were very uncomfortable (laughs) and there weren't many other people on the tram and the two people, they, they cleared up their argument and we had a pretty quiet ride back to our hotel after that, but it was definitely a tense moment. And what made it so weird was that, you know, in America, we would have known exactly what was going on and why they were upset at each other. And, you know, I kept thinking, well, maybe the lady is upset that he's carrying a gun, you know, because it is right there sitting on his, his belt. And, um, I, I, I had no idea. Maybe it had nothing to do with that. So I think it was a time where, um, we were definitely afraid, but it could have, it could have been nothing. It could have been something. And, um, yeah, we were happy to get off <laughs> at our hotel, of course. There would be so many moments, maybe not like that, but where you would just, if you're traveling, I'm just assuming you just get hit with a surprise. Um, You know, like, hey, why are they pulling us off the tram? What's going on? Like, what's wrong with the tram? And then later, oh, these two people, they're arguing with each other. They appear to be strangers. Oh my gosh, one of them's got a gun. What are we going to do? And then you realize I, I don't understand a word they're saying and I can't figure out from body language what they're saying you know mm-hmm. you just have no idea like where is this going to go what is going to happen and I'm just assuming that you would have a lot of moments like that maybe not yeah. that extreme but 
Sure, but you're definitely going down the right path there. It, there, there have been so many times where you have to, you have to just kind of, um, like you said, kind of follow what people were doing. We would have never, you know, to get off the tram because it wasn't, you know, it couldn't, it couldn't move anymore. So everyone was getting off and we thought, what the heck? And then, you know, finally we, it's like picking up the pieces one by one and like, Oh, okay. Now I, now I kind of get what's happening in my environment. It can be a little disorienting at times. <laughs> yeah, if you were, if it was late at night, if you were half asleep, uh, just you know, if you'd had an upsetting day, just uh, I suppose you just have to learn to roll with it. Do you just learn mm-hmm. to roll with it? Yeah, absolutely. You definitely um, you you take it you take it for what it is. <laughs> okay, okay. Take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, whatever rule book you were playing with, toss the rule book off the window and just take it from there. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. If you had to live in one of these nations for two years and you could only visit the United States for maybe, you know, two weeks around Christmas and 4th of July, which would you live in? Now, they're small enough you could travel, you could you could zip around, you could go from here to there and there to here, but, you know, 90% of the time you're going to be living in the country that you're living in. Absolutely, which, yeah. Which would you choose, do you think? I think... Oh, man, I love your questions. I love these. They're very creative. and They're very hard to answer. <laughs> um, I think I would choose Greece because it, it has a lot of variance between like mainland Greece and then there are many different islands. So part of me is thinking, okay, there's no way I could get bored with how many different islands I could hop around to. <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, so yeah, island or uh, mountain vacation, I'm, I'm hearing you would choose island, basically, in yeah, any given scenario. Absolutely. So in, in food, uh, who's got the best food of all of these countries? And that's... Um, that's this is opinionated, of course. This yeah. is just my own preference. But Italian food is, it's uh, above all the rest for okay. me. Okay. Now, it, this could be totally different based off of each person's See, you're, you're such a Midwesterner because, like, you know, all of us Midwesterners, like, especially when we're kids, I mean, we are just raised to think that pizza is the beginning and the ending of civilization, and that, that everything in the middle is not me. worth considering. And so I, I think it starts with pizza and then it moves on to other Italian food. But yeah, we just, we love, we just love Italian food. We really do. And we also really love Mexican food. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. The Midwesterners do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm almost hesitant to ask this and you don't have to answer it if you don't want to, but was there a country where... You just thought, oh my gosh, I can't, this food, I'm going to lose so much weight in this country. This food is just not edible. <laughs> um, so I think that there are things you can eat anywhere that will do the job of filling your stomach um, and keeping you healthy. But actually, in Europe, I, I, I would say... I would say each country in Europe had good food. Um, I would say the Philippines in in Southeast Asia was the the more questionable um, 
experience for me. So we, maybe I can hold off on discussing that once we get a little farther into our conversation. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and by the way, I'm just encouraged to hear you say that because I know that you love the Philippines so much and that you would easily mm-hmm. spend years of your life there if circumstances yep. worked out. And so, you know, it's even with I'll the- let you know, I'll let you know what I would survive on there. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, in Europe, of the things that you did, or maybe the things that you wanted to do, what would be the best things to do? Oh, depending on what you're interested in, there there's something for everyone. So there are beautiful mountains that you can hike in. There are also very old cities that have so many different kinds of history. So, I mean, every city has their story that goes so far back. And I think even between, you know, even between Paris and, and London and Rome, it, it's, it's all so different. And I, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know where to start. I don't know how we planned this in the first place. It makes me think, wow, how did we decide on the cities that we did? Because we only grazed the surface. When you think about all of the things that you could see and do in Europe. Oh, for sure. So from from the things that I did, of course, and I spoke to this a little bit in the last time we met as well. But in, in Italy, I think that Rome was, Rome feel, felt like a must do for me and it it still does after I did all of all of the things that I did um Rome felt like yeah I I had to do that I loved that I would do it again um I I don't know if other cities stick out like that to me as Rome did but of course it's different for everyone the friend that I was traveling with loved Amsterdam She loved the feel of it and how there's basically more bicycles and boats in the canals than there are cars on the road. Um, Just the architecture of the buildings was different than things we saw. Just the canals kind of building the city was really interesting to her. And um, Amsterdam was her favorite city. So it really just depends on um, what, what you feel when you're there. But that's why I'm glad we had the variety that we did. Like I said, if I would go back, I would do less over a longer period of time if possible. Mm-hmm. But um, it was nice as a first visit to see so many different cities and countries. Yeah, to just kind of get the overview. In a way, I guess maybe it would be like reading a table of contents in a book. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I love that. Yeah, because, uh, well, the very first time I went to Washington, D.C., we didn't have a whole lot of time. And so we just superficially looked at all of the monuments and, and didn't yep. have too much time to do much else. And then the next few times that I went, you know, I'd spend like five hours in a single day uh, in just one museum. You know, I just I read, I think, 80 percent of what you could read in in given museums. But that first go through you're just amazed absolutely amazed and then I guess we want the depth maybe the next time around that's kind of what I'm hearing you say 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's nice to it's nice to go back the second time and have some familiarity with your surroundings. But um, like you said, really diving into one certain thing. Yeah. Okay. Is there anything about Europe that I didn't ask that you wish I would have asked? Um, no. Okay. I think we can go on. Let's move on to Asia. You spent two months in Asia, um, almost twice as much time as you spent in Europe. So what prompted two months in Asia? So I, when I was on Okinawa, Japan, I, which I talked about with you a lot last time, I had a really great experience there and I enjoyed the climate, and I enjoyed the culture. I ended up doing a lot of research on surrounding countries, and a lot of that led me to the Philippines and Thailand. Um, So I kind of became infatuated with the idea of doing this crazy backpacking trip around a few countries in Asia. And I thankfully had a friend who was crazy enough to want to go with me. So it just so happened that we were at a point in our lives where I was graduating from my undergraduate degree in December. And so I knew that I wanted to go to grad school, but programs only begun, begin in August for my, the program that I did. So I had a semester where I... I could really spend it how I wanted to. So um, my friend and I decided to save money like crazy. We actually shared a bedroom in an apartment leading up the six months leading up to um, this trip so we could save money on rent, (laughs) which I'm not sure if I'd recommend that, but it was worth it. Um, So that's what prompted it is really being in Okinawa and knowing that I wanted to go back. Um, I love the, the, the subtropical climate and, um, a lot of the, you know, ocean activities as well. It's also a lot more affordable than Europe, than America, than Australia, really than any other place in the world. So that was a lot of my research too, was learning that, it's definitely a budget destination for young people and you can really, um, you can go a long ways with um, not very much money. Which is so cool. And I just don't think anybody, not, I shouldn't say anybody, but I think there's just a lot of people who would not know that. And so, and I will say to put it in perspective, I spent twice as much money in Europe than I did in Asia, and I was there. I was in Europe for half the time. Right, so half the time, (laughs) twice as much money. So just sloppy math, that means Europe is four times more expensive. It's kind of what I'm getting, Uh, or close close enough to it. So I'm just, I don't know, I've had some friends who have traveled to maybe about 20 countries, and, you know, you just hear about, like, the $10 stays overnight in some actually pretty nice places. Yes. Oh, wow. Ten ten dollars can get you a amazing bed in Bangkok, Thailand for the night. I mean, that was I I had such a comfortable bed there. You get free breakfast in the morning. 
Um, it, it was a, a great hot shower after coming from the Philippines when I didn't have that um, for a few weeks. But um, yeah, you can you can stay in a very nice place for $10 over there. Which is awesome because everybody I know who's been to Thailand just has positive things to say about it, not a negative word. They say that it's beautiful, the people are friendly. Uh, they never brought up the money aspect, but yeah, just uh, I've just heard only positives. So, mm -hmm. um, okay, so where all did you go when you were over in Asia? I have a list, but I'm not sure it's complete. So, yeah, um, we, we booked a long layover in Taiwan just for the purpose of spending the day in Taipei, Taiwan. Okay. So that was a quick visit. Um, the city of Taipei was, it, it was, it was overwhelming to be in. It's a big city, but since it was the first place that we went to and I had been to Asia before, but my friend had not, I just felt such a, a pleasure and an honor to be, to just say welcome welcome to the next two months of our lives you know it was really fun to we walked around we rode around to different um to different structures monuments um it was just an overview like you said how you've done in washington dc but for her to, to watch her reaction was actually just amazing um introducing her to some of my favorite snacks that you can get at the convenience stores there and just how crowded it is and all of the things going on in the street food and just seeing someone else's reaction to all of it um, for the first time just made me feel like it was my first time again. <laughs> um, and from there, we went and spent a few weeks in the Philippines and Thailand and then briefly visited Laos and Cambodia. That's pretty awesome. Um, if you were going to compare Taipei to an American city, is that even possible to do? Uh, like, I, I can't help it. Whenever I go someplace, even if there's no comparison, my, my brain, I guess, is struggling with pattern recognition, trying to come up with an analogy so I can understand my situation so I know what I'm looking at. So when you go to Taipei, are you like, oh, this is a little like Chicago or this is a little like New York or is there any of that going on or, or, or does it just feel like, uh, Hey, I'm in a completely brand new situation. Definitely more so feeling like you're in a brand new situation. Uh, I think that the cities there, the cities over there are similar to each other. But now, like you said, I'm trying to work something out in my head where I'm like, what would I compare that to? What would I compare that to in America? I, I would say I've never been to New York. Um, the only large East coast city I've been to is Boston, which again, they're so different. Boston is so much different, but just how much is going on, I think is a similarity. So, and, and, you know, with Chicago too, um, that's another big city I've been to a few times and spent some time in, but, um, just the variance and feeling like, especially in Boston, the neighborhoods are so different. So you can feel like, <laughs> you can feel like you're in two different, uh, 
countries and you're really just in the same city. So I would say that the cities in Asia, although much more crowded and much more condensed, um, I would say that they have that same, wow, you know, you can be in a 20 story mall, you know, this giant mall that has hundreds and hundreds of stores and things we've never bought before and things you've never seen before. And then you can also be kind of in a, in almost a slum area where, you know, there's a lot of people that are out interacting um, on the streets and it might be unclean. There might be a lot of kids running around. There might be, be a lot of homeless people it just kind of um is crazy to see the differences just in the same city wow wow just yeah the diversity within one city is just endless is kind of what i'm Mm. hearing you say Uh uh-huh yeah uh okay so this is maybe an unfair question but what was either the best time you think you had in asia or what was just maybe a very good time that you had um I, so the last time we talked, I talked a lot about what I enjoyed about the Philippines. So to not repeat myself, although I am, I, I am in love with the Philippines. (laughs) I, I had a good experience in Thailand with meeting some other travelers that I was actually able to link up with. And, um, we kind of followed each other around to a couple different islands and, um, that was really wonderful. I met two girls that were my age from Ireland and, um, I think two, two boys and two other girls. So it was a group of like seven of us, um, that in those, they were from Scotland. So, um, interesting to meet and really get to know people of my own age from those countries. And, just how kind of open they were. And we all were in the same boat and just kind of flying by the edge of our seat. And, um, but also having that, having that, um, connection and a little bit of companionship in Mm. just a few days time and thinking, Oh, Hey, I was thinking about going to do this next, you know, I might take this bus tomorrow. And then they think, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll come along and do that with you. And then you think, Hmm, Maybe there's this thing I want to do the next day that I'm a little afraid to do on my own. Maybe I'll ask them if they would come do it with me. And when they're open to that, you know, it can, it can be really helpful and to do things you wouldn't have done by, by yourself. I think that's awesome. Just fast friends from foreign countries. Mm -hmm. That's just amazing. Okay. So what is the weirdest thing that happened in Asia? Wow. (laughs) The weirdest thing. I would say to be kind of general, but specific at the same time, we did a lot of ground travel on long bus rides. Um, So getting into into Laos from Thailand and then also departing Laos into Cambodia. Um, I'm not sure I would recommend doing that by bus. It would probably be much easier to fly just because they don't have much that is developed outside of their larger towns. Okay. Um, And it was just a huge adventure to get around that way. 
Um, we also did a lot of bus travel in the Philippines as well. And what I want to bring up that I feel is weird (laughs) is that it is so unstructured. So in America, you have your reservation, you have the money that you already paid up front, you know, what company is picking you up or what person is picking you up and at this destination and you know how long it's going to take. And of course, things come up and things happen. But I would, I would say that it just never stops surprising me how disorganized Mm. travel was over there. There were, it was just you kind of just had to hope that you were going to get to where you were going. (laughs) And I will say that the locals definitely help you and they say, Oh, you want to go to that place? Okay. Take bus four. Um, and it was helpful for them to, um, kind of be able to point you in the right direction at times, um, and answer your questions. But when there was more of a language barrier, which definitely happened, it was, very frustrating to think okay am I at the right bus stop where who is picking me up where am I you know (laughs) not being able to have those kinds of very simple questions answered uh we always got to where we were going um we never had so much as a overnight delay but we definitely had a lot of delays of hours long and just having to be patient and wait for things to work themselves out but I would say that's maybe the weirdest thing yeah. overall. That, that would be just, I don't know, we're so used to, hey, the plane is taking off at 343 and it's landing at 557. And it's pretty amazing, but they can do things like that and oftentimes be within five minutes of the targeted time. And that's just mm-hmm. how we roll in the United Mm -hmm. States. And I guess what I'm hearing from you is that, you know, you might be two hours early or six hours late. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's, like I said, it's just, it's from bus to bus and van to van. And I remember when we, um, left Laos and had entered Cambodia, we actually, there was, um, a family's home that was right there next to the border and they actually had kind of developed themselves as like a little waiting area and they sold snacks. Um, but I mean, their house was just, I mean, it was, I I don't even know how to explain it. It was all, it was all outdoors. You couldn't even really call it a house. It was kind of more like a makeshift shed, right? So these people, obviously, this is the way that they were able to have an income is, you know, people coming into the country, you know, they could sell bags of chips too and sodas too. Um, but my friend and I had no idea that there would be this waiting spot for us. And, you know, it was just this little family and we sat there for a while and we didn't even really know what we were waiting for. But then the next bus came and picked us up and took us to the town we needed to go to. And it's just oh like, my gosh. well, I paid I paid $12 to make it from northern Laos to southern Cambodia and I took about five different buses and vans and somehow I'm here and I'm not really sure how. <laughs> 12 bucks and you you switched buses and vans five times. Yeah. <laughs> and and then the border crossing, I'm just thinking about what the border crossing is like say from the United States to Canada or the United States to Mexico. It's pretty rigorous. And here it's it's a family selling chips. Yep. That's amazing. 
absolutely amazing. Okay. Uh, if you had to live in one of these countries for, I guess the same question I asked before for Europe for two years, and you could only visit the United States maybe just for a few weeks around Christmas and 4th of July, which would you live in? And what are the best things to do there? I don't want to contradict myself. I I believe that when you asked me a similar question last time, I said Thailand because of the food. Okay. Okay. <laughs> because Thai food is um it's very near and dear to my heart, and I really enjoy it. Um, and I think that's why I would choose to live there. Um, you asked what are the the best things to do there. Um, what's nice is. You know, kind of how I mentioned with Greece, it, it is, I mean, Thailand's much larger than Greece, but it has a lot of variance, again, you know, between their mainland, and then they also have a lot of islands in the southern part of the country that have a completely different culture than northern Thailand. So I think that having the variance would would keep me, keep me busy, for sure. Um, the scuba diving is wonderful there. So even if someone isn't a scuba diver, they can snorkel, they can swim, they can be on the beach, they can, you know, just kind of experience um, that aspect. But then also, there is so much history as well. So cool. Very, very, yeah. very cool. Is there something about Asia that I should have asked, but didn't ask? No. And I think if I could add one last thing is that a lot of people, I, I feel a lot of people don't want to, or maybe fear the differences. Um, and, and that makes them not too keen to want to travel there. It's just not in their interest, which is totally fine. Um, but it seems just so wild to think oh my gosh, you know, going to Japan or going to China or going to Thailand. Um, I would just encourage people to step out of their comfort zone um, because it is um, it is really neat to see the differences between Eastern and Western culture. Oh, I bet. Is there one particular difference that just really jumps out at you? I... I mean, I've there's probably 10. Yeah, I've mentioned a little bit about this, um, but I think the the generosity of the those people and how much they're willing to help not only um, each other, but also visitors as well is um, pretty wonderful. Do, do you feel like you saw that in multiple countries, like not just the Philippines, but also, say, for example, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia? Yes, absolutely. That's cool. That's really cool. Okay, mm -hmm. so let's get to Canada. How does Canada fit into just your travel experiences? <laughs> so um, the only experience that I have being in Canada is a very jam-packed weekend of driving from Iowa City, was my home at the time in Iowa, to um, Niagara Falls. So it's about a 13, 14 hour drive. And two of my friends and I decided we're going to do this in a weekend. Um, we ended up getting a late start on Friday. We had some car problems. So we 
ended up getting very little sleep over the whole weekend, but we managed to stop um, in Erie, Pennsylvania, and spent spent a lot of time at Niagara Falls and really took in that experience. We spent an evening in Toronto, and then we turned around and drove home on Sunday morning, and we actually stopped at the University of Michigan and um, the Notre Dame in um, South Bend. So it was important to us to see those two um, universities, and we're glad that we stopped. It was really neat. But um, as far as traveling um, in Canada, I don't have much that I can speak to. But um, I do believe that Niagara Falls um, is more beautiful seen from the Canadian side. (laughs) (laughs) So you you can really see all of it from over there. And just the way that the that the falls lays, it's it's just a much it's a much better view. So I'm glad that I went there at a time where you know I had the capability of going into Canada to see um, to see Niagara Falls. Okay, um, if somebody were going to pay you a certain amount of money to go over a barrel over Niagara Falls, you know, uh, how much would they have to pay you? Oh my gosh! Oh wow! quite a bit of money because I'm not sure if I would survive that. <laughs> it's a thing. People do it. People do that? Yeah. Yeah. You I... did, okay. Yeah. That's the thing. People have for a hundred years at least uh, put themselves in a barrel of some kind and just, you know, drifted down the river and then boom, down the falls. Well, now they... that I know that people have done it, maybe I'd do it for... <laughs> A million bucks. I mean, they do, they don't all survive. <laughs> maybe, maybe two million. Two then. million bucks. Okay. <laughs> but um, what was most interesting? Um, kind of like my experience with getting into Taipei and having that have been that friends first experience with Asia. Um, with this trip, one of the girls that I was with had never um left the country before, oh, wow. so. Even um, going through customs on the getting in um, on the Canadian border was just really fun. Um, her first experience with all of this, uh, we, she was just excited to use her passport for the first time, and uh, yeah, some of those feelings come back for me. Being able to take someone to do that was great. Um, we we got stuck in a big traffic jam in Toronto. And um, we were very exhausted by this time of night. We had done a lot of driving and it had been such a long day. And I still am not sure how I managed to drive um, to our hotel that night. But I got out of that traffic jam. I had to do some questionable things, but um, we had to do a lot of waiting and be very patient. But that was definitely a stressful experience. I think there, there was must have been a really big event that had happened because it seemed like, um, yeah, it seemed like a lot of traffic all moving and um, kind of at the same time it all grew. And uh, I keep thinking just because I'm being stereotypical that there was a hockey game and everyone was leaving it all at the same time. <laughs> gotcha. Could have been anything, though. Um, do you have any thoughts on Canada as a country? I mean, just kind of the knock on Canada is people say it's just like the United States, only boring. Um, and any thoughts on Canada? 
I don't think it's true that it's boring. Um, it it might it might have less variance than we do in America. We have so many different landscapes, different cities, um, and not to say that parts of Canada aren't different either. But um, I think their climate doesn't seem to vary as much, um, or their their landscapes really either. Um, it's it's either pretty pretty woodsy with lakes uh, or mountains. Okay. <laughs> so they don't um, they don't get the all the differences that we do. Doesn't make them boring though. I've been really wanting to go up to Banff and Jasper National Parks for a couple of years now, so that's actually pretty high on my list of places to go. Um, we couldn't go this year because of the coronavirus. So. Right. Oh, you should go, though. That's one of the few places in Canada I've been, and it's gorgeous. I mean, <sighs> mountains, glaciers, just the whole thing. It's just absolutely fantastic. I think you'd love it. I need to go back to see those turquoise lakes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so Mexico. When and what um, did you do in Mexico? So I was... Um, I was just in Mexico, actually, for um, for a week-long trip to stay at a resort. So it was really strictly just vacation. Vacation is a little bit different than traveling, in my mind. Um, what I enjoyed most, though, about my experience um, on that vacation was leaving the resort that we were staying at. Um, and we did this a couple different times. And... I, I want to encourage more of that because I do think that a lot of people kind of stay in their comfort zone and go to their resort where they don't have to leave and they have all the resources that they need. They really just don't desire going to do something different. Um, and I, I enjoyed getting away from the resort and kind of being able to experience um, what the town was like. And the town was Playa del Carmen. And um, although we did see other tourists there um, and other people that were, uh, yeah, from a lot of different places, um, we got to eat at a couple of really authentic restaurants that we would have never been able to experience, you know, in the resort. Um, we also took a ferry to Cozumel, and um, that was really neat because there were I, there were people who probably take that commute every day. Um, for work and whatnot, but it was, you know, just 30 minutes long and um, probably nothing special for someone who lives there, but for us, it was really neat, and um, the people I were I was with, we spent the day snorkeling and scuba diving um, in Cozumel, so that was, um, that was really fun. That's cool. Um, what do you feel like the real Mexico is like? you know, compared to the resorts? Because when I think of the resorts, I just think, hey, I'm in a bubble. Yes, yeah, you definitely are in a bubble. Um, it's It has a lot more character. Um, it's definitely, well, I'm, I'm trying to find two things to compare it to. Because at your resort, everything's perfect and beautiful and clean and just you kind of feel like you're, in a castle or something, right? Like you said, you're in your bubble. Um, but once you leave, you just get so much more of a taste of, oh, this is, you know, even just talking with the taxi drivers we had 
or um, the people at, you know, the workers at the restaurants or even just people we would run into, where, you know, with whatever we were doing, being able to have conversations and um, kind of realize, uh, you know, how, how it's different than, uh, you know, being on the resort. See, that's the so. part that I love the most is, uh, okay, so they both have their pluses and their virtues. Like you could be in the castle and never get outside of the castle. But I kind of like wandering through, you know, the town or the farm and just meeting the local people and just, you know, having a conversation with them and finding out a little bit about them and what their life is like. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, how, that's how you learn what, what it is really like. Yeah. And you can, you can hear some interesting stories from doing that. Yeah. And I feel like eating at the local restaurants is a little bit like eating at a mom and pop shop. Or actually, sometimes it's like eating at your aunt's and, or uncle's place. You know, compared to a chain where everything is just sort of formulized. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so. it's, it's funny because, like I said, you know, us Midwesterners really love Mexican food. Well, the Mexican food we have here is much different than authentic Mexican. <laughs> and, and can you describe um, a little bit? Can you, can, you say, can you say how? Just a little bit? Like, how is it different? So, I mean, the big differences that I saw were serving sizes are much smaller there. I think they're just supersized here, right? Mm. You get your giant chimichanga that's just smothered in queso. Right. Um, I noticed that queso isn't even wasn't even on the menu like queso dip you know um so i see that as more of a americanized item for sure gotcha. um it's definitely more f- fresh seeming like less fried and more fresh okay that's very cool let's take a step back and look at the big picture so i mean i think we've gone through maybe about 18 countries at this point or so how do you stay safe? I think that as best you can, being able to being able to know your surroundings is good. And like I said, you know, I gave the I gave the story about you know not really being sure about where we were in Laos and Cambodia. Now, did I ever feel unsafe? No because of the way that people helped us along the way, I always kind of felt this um, just built in trust for whoever we were interacting with, um, whether I could understand them perfectly or uh, barely at all, um, which was really neat. But I can't say that that's everyone's experience, you know, and some people go to a foreign country and they get things stolen from them. So some people have even worse things happen. Um, So it's, it's not that I'm naive to those things. But I definitely think the most important part is that you do do your research before and you learn, well, how do people act in this country? What are their, what are more of their ways of, ways of communication? Um, What should, what are things that you can look out for? What are things maybe you should, you don't need to worry about? Um, And kind of knowing what you're stepping into, a little bit of what you're stepping into before um, you do it. And of course, Staying out at night, um, I think, is a big one, too. And definitely as a young female, um, I was always very aware of um, of that part as well. So kind of returning to the place that you were staying at a, at a reasonable time and 
you know, turn it in early. And I always wanted to do that anyway, so that I could get up and do the next thing the next day. Okay. But um, I, I think that's a, that's a good thing to remember too, of course. And especially as a young person, but adults as well. Um, when you're going from one country to the next, do you ask the people in the first country, Hey, have you been to the second country? What's the second country like? Or do you yeah. rely primarily on reading or both? So both definitely, but I, I think that it's wonderful to get information from people, um, from people as well, whether it's a fellow uh, traveler that you've met along the way. Well, maybe they've been to Cambodia, you haven't been to Cambodia yet, so they can tell you a little bit about it, and you exchange information, and they can, you know, share their experience. Um, it's, it's really nice to get information that way, too, because you can, you can relate to it better than just reading from a book. But um, books are helpful, too. Okay. <laughs> and the internet. <laughs> okay. Uh, sticking with the big picture, um, how do you make time for travel? I mean, after all, you were a college student, then you were a graduate student, and now you're a working professional. And yet, you've, you've managed to hit up 18 countries, and you've traveled all over the United States. How do you make time? So it definitely has to be something you prioritize <clears throat> and not only um, not only as an interest of yours, but thinking about finances as well. Um, and there are definitely things that I, I kind of see myself going without and knowing that, hey, I can I'm gonna go take off for a weekend though and that would be an expense that maybe the next person wouldn't wouldn't want to do or wouldn't be able to. Um, but I think each person has, each person has a time that they're able to utilize either in a small way or a big way. So for me, the big things that I did were summers or like I said, the semester I had off of school. Um, when I was, you know, kind of in between odds and ends jobs. Um, now that I'm in my career, it's more, okay, maybe I can take a Friday off and go somewhere for the weekend. Or maybe I can, you know, take a vacation in the summertime for a week or two. So it's definitely different and on a smaller scale now, but it, it, there are still very meaningful things um, that I do, even though it's not a two-month backpacking trip. So I think that no matter no matter what time you have, you can you can always make something work, even if it's just for a day. I'm I'm hearing that there's a bunch of pre-planning that goes on, and also some sacrificing in terms of spending money. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, when you go someplace, I just wonder how do you manage to get the most out of it? Because this is one of my personal nightmares. I go someplace exotic. I've traveled 4,000 miles or 8,000 miles to get there. And, oh shoot, now everything's closed. I arrived at the wrong time or I didn't do my research. And, and then you wind up spending 12 hours in the hotel. This is just my, my personal, one of my nightmares, I guess. How do, you, how do you get the most out of it when you go? So I definitely think it's very common to have those fears. Um, I definitely still do at times. It's actually in that battle 
with yourself that you can either make the most of it um, or have the fear of, you know, the outcome, not getting everything out of it that you could. Unfortunately, things like that too ha- do happen, the things that you just brought up, or maybe there's a place that you wanted to go for the day where you needed the sun to be out, right? You right. needed it to not be raining, but it ends up raining and you only had that one day to do the thing that you had scheduled to do. Um, you just have to chalk it up to these things happen and kind of accept the fact that you don't have control over all the circumstances um, and knowing that, hey, if I enjoyed this enough in a not so perfect circumstance, you know, I could I could come back, you know, I, I could make this happen again. Um, and if I can't, that's OK. It was meant to happen. I think there's just some sort of acceptance that you kind of have to learn to gain while you're in the experience and then after as well. If that makes sense. It does. And and I think it's perfect in its own way because when you were describing going from Laos to Cambodia, or maybe it was the other way around, and gosh, you know, five different exchanges from like bus to van to van to bus. And then the border crossing is just a family with something of a shack, you know, selling random snacks. I just never would have anticipated that in a million years if I were you. Um, I, I just, I couldn't even feature, wow, this is how it's going to be. And and yet that might just be the most memorable part of the trip. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can even think of, um, I can even think of different things that I've done. For example, I had taken a road, a road trip a few summers ago with friends and we, we, did overbook ourselves a little bit and there was a day that we were driving along the uh the california coastal highway and all i cared about was getting to this specific spot and i wanted to make sure that we got there by the end of the day so even if it was by sunset that's fine i just wanted to get to that spot by the end of the day and i worried so much along the way oh gosh guys come on we got to get to the next thing we got to get to the next thing because i want to make sure that at the end of the day we are in that place and um, if I could go back, and we made it to that place, we did. And then the evening was beautiful. The sunset was perfect. We got there just in time. It was great and a wonderful memory. But I, I do wish that, you know, if I could go back, I would have been a little bit more of accepting of yeah. the, journey, the journey along the way. So reminding myself of that time and other times where I have had a lot of fear of not getting the most out of what I'm doing. I try to remind myself that it, it's it's going to be what it is, and it will all work out. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of like... Kind of cliche advice, but it's true. No, but it, it is true. Like, the trip to the sunset, like, don't miss the trip to the sunset. You know, emphasis on the word trip. Like, yep. if, if we're just thinking <laughs> sunset, maybe that goes seven, eight minutes, but the trip there could have been seven or eight hours. And so enjoy right. the whole the whole thing. Um, exactly. what type of person is good to travel with? Huh. You know, I think that, I think that you can make it work with anyone, but it is nice when you are familiar with someone. So maybe you've done a few different things with this person. Um, you kind of understand how the other one works. 
So maybe it's a little trial and error, but I will say that it definitely has, it has an impact on the way, on on the way that things go. Um, And everyone has different preferences. And I think that there are some people who don't mind moving slowly, moving slower, maybe sleeping in, not getting the five things done that you wanted to do that day. And then there are other people who are, heck yeah, I'm waking up at 5.30 a.m. I'm going to make sure that we get all of these things done. So um, I think that when people are different, though, they have things to learn from each other. So if there's one that's that extreme and the other that's the other extreme, it's, um, it's good to have a balance and kind of learn about the other person and about yourself, too. That's very open-minded of you. That's very, very good, very impressive. Um, so the flip side, what type of person is bad to travel with? I suppose someone who's not open-minded. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I think that um, what can be a struggle, and I've been this person before, but what can be a struggle is when you do get caught up in negative circumstances and it's, it's hard to get out of that mood and to get out of that funk. Um, which I'm sure this is just, it's maybe not about the person, but about the experience. Um, because it probably happens to everyone when they go places. Um, but having someone that's able to kind of overcome that and, um, still make a day of it is, would be, would be a good person to travel with someone who is flexible because you have to be. Gotcha. So it's, it's like sports. If something bad happens, you have to shake it off. You know, unless you want the next inning or the next quarter to just be a total unmitigated disaster, essentially. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, they have this saying, of course, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And I feel like we all have our limits, though. Um, what is the limit of this saying? Hmm. So... I, I automatically think of limits in terms of like physical limits, right? And I don't know if that's like maybe what's coming to your mind too. Well, it could um, be the food, for example. I mean, some people just like, I don't know, they hit a dish of this or a bowl of that and they're just like, no. Yeah, absolutely. Knowing that, that being around um, someone you're traveling with that will help you um that will help you feel that it's okay to say no is also good so for example um i i have said that the food in the philippines was not um right <laughs> was not very good and of course that's my opinion um i i do think um that it's it's not a place that's known for its cuisine um i definitely could have been more open to trying different things but um you know, I found a few dishes that I really enjoyed and I stuck to them and I don't feel like I missed out on, uh, experiencing Philippine cuisine. Um, you know, there, we were, we were moving around different places and, you know, having something that you can kind of count on, especially when you're super hungry at the end of the day. Hey, I know I want that dish. So I've, I've been liking that the last couple of days. I'll just get it again. Um, is okay too. You don't have to always be doing, um, the next, you know, the, the next big thing, the next different thing. You don't have to try everything on the menu. 
So um, I'm glad that you brought food up because I think that's that's um, a good point to make. And why I was thinking about physical limitations is, you know, if you can't hike 10 miles, then don't don't plan to hike 10 miles. It's absolutely okay if you want to walk 100 feet to enjoy a view instead of hiking 10 miles. <laughs> well, in, in kind of a related way of hitting the limits, were there any places where people said, you know, one of the options is we could go down this road or we could go up this mountain or we could go down by the sea. And then other people said, yeah, that's really dangerous. You know, were there any situations where you turned something down? Um, well, let's see. I'm, I'm instantly thinking of, uh, in Southeast Asia, you can rent motorbikes a lot of places. And the first time that my friend and I had rented one, um, I was driving and we actually got into a little bit of an accident. Can't even really call it an accident because we flipped over on our side because of my poor balance and driving the motorbike. (laughs) But um, my friend did get a pretty bad scrape on her foot. And of course it's something we laugh about now, but um, that definitely just quickly scared me away of, um, wanting to drive a motorbike anywhere over there but thankfully she was open to it even though she did hurt her foot somewhat she said you know what you know I'm gonna keep an open mind and you know I'll take us down down these roads but some of the roads she thought this is too rough for me this looks too dangerous and we just stayed on a a larger smoother path so um I think there are definitely times where actually physically navigating where we were um we can you kind of just have to feel it out for yourself and know and again know your limits yeah. of what you're comfortable with doing and, and i guess this is why they say people travel to learn who they personally really are because mm-hmm. you you wander into these situations where you just realize hey i can do this much but i can't do more and you just find out your own personal preferences and your personal limits and your physical limits, emotional limits, just absolutely everything. Is yeah. so it's it's travel is is self discovery in a way, yeah. which is just really cool. So, okay, where would you go next? Is there a country that you haven't been to where, if you could, you, you would take off and you would go this month? So. I really have been wanting to go to Indonesia um, because I love Southeast Asia so much. And um, I really do want to take advantage of scuba diving opportunities when our um, marine life and coral reefs are uh, still being maintained in some parts of the world. So that has all changed quite a bit in the last 30 to 40 years. And it's very sad. So I think those kind of places it feels more urgent for me to want to go there and do some more scuba diving before i venture off to um to other countries cool (laughs) i just never would have guessed that in a million years but you know according to some people's list there's 193 countries and other people say 202 so i guess why would i have guessed the right country but (laughs) i guess indonesia is like well over a thousand islands So maybe I should have guessed it because of your island fascination (laughs) that you have. So I've got 
I think two hypotheticals for you. And the first one is, okay, so let's say you get married and then there's a billionaire out there and he gives the two of you a million dollars to go anywhere you want for as long as you want. So where is the honeymoon? Oh, wow. I, Indonesia. (laughs) (laughs) That's, wow. You know how long I could scuba dive for if I had that kind of money? (laughs) Well, a very long time. And if it's cheap over there, like say Thailand and Cambodia, a very, very long time. Yes, that would, wow. Wow. I couldn't even estimate how many years I could be there. It'd be so many. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you come back from your honeymoon and a bunch of years pass. This is my next hypothetical question. And the same billionaire comes along and he gives you a boat. And you've read about a family that traveled the world for at least a year. And they docked in London and Paris and Tokyo and a lot of other places. And they took their kids in to see the sights and to do cool things. And then when they were on the ship, they would read books and they would homeschool. And from what I read, the kids turned out great, just absolutely great. And then I think when they got all done, the family sold the boat for what they bought it for. So they broke even on the boat, essentially. Would you be up for this? Would you do this? Yes, absolutely. Would you do this? I think it sounds absolutely fantastic. And personally, I I feel like it never hurts to rethink the entire educational system. I'm a lifelong teacher, and I just think, you know, maybe there's something to all of the practical experiences that a person could have, but just all of the fun exotic, like, gosh, you could hit every sporting event, you could hit every museum, you could walk the streets, you could eat the local food. I, I just think it'd be what an education. You know, yeah. you, you could have the kids pick up some of the languages before you docked. And, uh-huh. and so like, hey, we're in France now, so maybe we speak a little French. So I just think it could be so great. I think the 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 experiences are endless with that sort of lifestyle, even for a short amount of time. And you know, as kids, there will be things that there will be things that stick out to them, and things that they retain, and other things that they forget. But um, I think there are lifelong skills that can be learned from doing something like that too. Yeah. Resourcefulness among among the top of of skills. Right, because just even little things like public transportation is going to be very different in different countries. Mm-hmm. Figuring out what you can eat, what you can't eat, just all these type of things. Okay, uh, two questions in terms of off the beaten path. Um, some people want to do things like exist or be two days away on foot from their hotel room, from the rent-a-car, from the phone... Like, they, they just really want to be out of the boonies someplace a good 48 hours from civilization. Um, would you ever do something like that? Or something else that maybe other people are just not thinking about? Yeah, definitely. I think that being able to be that far away would be a really peaceful experience. Um, and I am instantly thinking about... Um, like backcountry camping 
Um, and I, I would, I don't have my backcountry camping permit. I wouldn't know how to begin to, you know, get the equipment to do something like that, but it is definitely something I hope to someday be able to do. And to, like you said, be 48 hours away from, from being able to get to kind of back to humanity a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Like you literally have to hike 48 hours to get back to, you know, 7-Eleven or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, there's an author that I really enjoy. His name is Chris Gillibo and he is a podcaster and he's written, I think seven books at this point. Well, he visited 193 countries, uh, which at the time was every country in the world on the list that he was reading. Anyway, he visited every country in the world, including North Korea by the time he was 35 years old. Do you want to do this? Do you want to visit every country? I would love to listen to his podcast and read all of his books, but do I have the desire to go to every country? No. (laughs) Okay. Uh, How about 50 countries or a hundred countries? Oh, maybe. Yeah. Maybe somewhere between there. I think that maybe is a, is a nice range as I, and I know everyone's experience is different, but as I go more places, I feel the desire to return to Mm. the ones I've already been to. And I think a lot of people do um, kind of find that pattern and that routine of, Hey, let's go to that one state park or national park that we go to every summer, or let's go to, you know, Costa Rica every other year or something like that. Or, Or even Europe, people will go to several times in their life. And I could see myself, um, be more that way than um, continue to branch out and branch out. And, you know, I couldn't tell you why, because I, I do have interest in seeing a lot of different things, but um, I don't think I would do them all. <laughs> hey, there's no place like home. You're right. That's why I think, well, my dad went to the exact same lake, Big Pine Lake in Minnesota. Uh, he has spent a year of his life at this lake, one week at a time. That's amazing. Yeah, somebody took him there in college. I think he was 19, and they went fishing for a week. And then I think the last time he was there, he was in his 70s. And so he has literally spent a year of his life at Big Pine Lake in Minnesota, just one week at a time. It just kind of blows my mind that he's done this. I love the way when you say it like that. Oh, man, I I love that because you – think about all the great memories and just that, like you said, you kind of get into that routine and he knows right where he's going. He knows exactly what he wants to do and he enjoys it every time. I love encountering people like that, that for example, um, I was at a a lake in Wisconsin a few weeks ago and ran into an older couple. Same thing. It's a place that they go to multiple times a year so like you said I'm sure at this point they've probably spent a year at this at this place as well and you know they know that they know where they want to watch the sunset they know where they want to get dinner they know exactly you know their things that they enjoy and it's really neat yeah it's just maybe you could do that with the Philippines that's true I would love to (laughs) okay um what country do you wish we would have discussed but we didn't discuss? Wow. You know, with 
with two times of talking with you, I do feel like we have discussed quite a bit. Um, I think if we, if I could go back and talk more, I would maybe dive in to um, some of the, well, countries, but, you know, those major cities in Europe that um, I didn't talk much about. And like I said, you know, it is more of a blur because I did spend less time there. But um, it would be fun to, it would be fun to talk about Amsterdam a little more and Paris a little more and London. Okay. Very cool. Any, any quick hits that you want to give us on any of those? For next time? Uh, yeah, okay. Maybe that should be the next podcast. We'll do those three <laughs> cities. That's a very good idea. Okay, so I've got two questions to go, and I really love this next question. Um, I did ask you this last time, but I just want to see what you might add. Uh, from all of your travels and from coming back home, what have you learned about human nature? You can adapt to whatever is in front of you. That's for sure. Um, I, I want to stick with my, I believe this is what I talked about last time, but the generosity of other people and how others are so helpful and welcoming is is really a very neat thing um, to see. And as far as the travel that I've done in the States, um, I love running into people from other places and just learning about how their life experience is different than mine. So um, maybe just the openness that others can have and how, how great it can be when people are um, open with each other. I think that's absolutely fantastic. It's very encouraging if people ever get down on the human race and just think, oh, we're all doomed, we're so foolish, we're so stupid. Um, they could travel just a little bit and find out that people are generous wherever you go. And mm -hmm. they really do want the best for us. And yeah. I'm not saying everybody is, but there's plenty that are. And you can see yeah. this all over the world, and that's just the coolest thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, my very last question is, I, I just love talking about all of these adventures with you, Kenzie. I really, truly do. Um, it's actually one of my favorite things to do, just because I think I should travel more. So I think you should, too. I think you would be very good at it. <laughs> well, and it, it would just be fun. Let me, let me fast forward to age 100 because I just love this question and you're sitting on the front porch of your house and your loving husband is holding your hand. You are surrounded by children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. And one of your descendants asks you, grandma, what was something in your life that you did that you just never thought would be possible, but you did it. And what do you say? Wow. There have been a lot. I think I think I would say taking the first step to um in the first step in opening up to having a big 
experience. So for me, that was going to Okinawa, Japan as a 20-year-old. Um, I think that took the most courage. And I think it, it became easier from there. But knowing that I was completely pushing myself out of my comfort zone and doing something that not many people do, um, that was difficult. And it was scary. It was nerve-wracking. I was terrified. Um, and how amazing it ended up being was surprising, but in a way it wasn't, you know? Um, so I guess what I never thought would be possible was how much I've gained from taking that first step. <laughs> awesome. That's an absolutely beautiful answer. And I don't know if I can add anything to it other <laughs> than I'm just impressed with just the idea that, you know, we think these things are not possible, especially when we're younger. We think, well, how could I possibly go to Okinawa? Or how could I possibly go 8,000 miles away across the world? Right. And yet there's millions of people who live in those places and they think it's ordinary. So, I mean, if they can sleep and eat there, then maybe we could sleep and eat there. Absolutely. You know, we, we think it's so impossible and other people think it is so typical. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Kenzie. This was just absolutely awesome. And maybe next time we can, we can talk about Paris, London, and Amsterdam. <laughs> I would love that. And I'm sure, I'm sure there's other things that we could discuss to, to fill the time. <laughs> yeah. It's something I feel like I could talk about for days on end. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, I will get you back on those three then. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Kenzie. Awesome. Wow, this was, this was great. <laughs> we'll do it again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seemingly Ordinary. The biggest favor you could do for me would be for you to share this episode far and wide. Next episode on a Tuesday.
fun to do this. I appreciate it a lot. Well, it, likewise for me. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs>